You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you turn with me in your Bibles, um, I apologize because we're going to be jumping around a lot. But I really think this is important, and I want to show you this story of Job, but... I practiced in my office uh, earlier this week. And for me to show you the part of the story of Job that I wanted to show you, it goes from chapter 1 to chapter 42. And it takes me like almost two hours to read that uh, 42 chapters. So I don't think y'all want to sit here through that. So what we're going to do is jump around through Job. And then I encourage you, you can go back and fill in the blanks. Okay, so I'm going to give you the points I need to give you. And then you can go back and, and read all the rest of that anyways. It's mostly just these and thous that I'm going to leave out. Okay. But I think we're going to see something that's really important today. So bear with me. And we'll see how long this goes. Because I feel like this message is really important. And I may cut it off and give you half of it next week. If it starts going too long or the food starts smelling too good. Either way. So today I want to talk to you about something that you choose. It's a choice that you get to make. This isn't something that just happens to you. It's something that you choose, and it will change or determine the outcome of your life and the impact that you'll make on the world, on your family, on your job, the world that you're in. It's the most important thing that you will ever choose other than loving God and believing that Jesus died for your sins, I believe this is the next most important thing that you'll ever choose in your life. Who will you do life with? The relationships that you have and the people that you surround yourself with, it can change your life for the good or the bad. And it could pull you down or pull you up. It can, I believe it's the most important decision you'll ever make from the spouse that you pick to marry, to who your best friend is, to who you're going to go hang out with on Friday night, to who, like, it can change everything. Sometimes people won't understand when you reach out or you show kindness to somebody different than you. I heard about this guy that um, the bus was full, and he gave up his seat on the bus to a blind man, and he lost his job for it. And I was like, what was your job? He said, bus driver. (laughs) Uh, Be careful who you put in your seat. We're all riding. You know, we talked about that van a couple weeks ago that if I could load up a 15-passenger van out here, one of our youth vans, and if I could pick 15 of you and we could all get in that van... I truly believe that we could drive anywhere in the world and park that van and that we could be successful and that we could have an impact on the world and that we'd figure out how to make money and start a ministry and that we would thrive. And then I believe that we could also pick 15 of us in this room and put them in that van and they could drive somewhere and be homeless, living under a bridge and never reach out and touch anybody, never minister to anybody or really make an impact in the world. They just, we could kind of disappear. It's very important who you surround yourself with or who you put in your seat. 
who you let in your driver's seat, especially if they're blind. Relationships matter. It matters a lot. What kind of friends do you have? Think about it. Who will you do life with? Well, who are you doing life with? Because whether we want to admit it or we've thought about it or not, you're doing life with somebody. I don't think anybody in here just walked up out of the woods and hadn't really interacted with anybody else this week, and they walked in here for this message. Possibly Benny. No, he didn't. He was at my house Friday night with a bunch of people. Everybody, we're all doing life with somebody. So start thinking about that as we start. Who are my friends? Who do I, who do, I do life with? All right, we're going to look at Job. And most of you have heard of Job. He's a pretty famous guy. A lot of people have heard of him. Even non-Christians have heard about Job and all the, the bad stuff that happened to him. But I want to look at Job's life, and we're going to look at three friends that Job had. But we'll start in Job 1, verse 1. I'm going to start in the Message Bible. And then we're going to jump over to the King James. Job was a man who lived in Uz. It's a cool place to live. He was honest inside and out. A man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. Um, if they were writing a book about you, is this how it would start? Uh honest inside and out man of his word totally devoted to god and hated evil with a passion and maybe not so much i look at myself job was a good dude this was we'll see in a minute the greatest guy that god had alive at that time this was like god's champion look at this guy he's fully devoted to me he had seven sons and three daughters Lord bless him. He was also very wealthy with 7,000 head of sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 teams of oxen and 500 donkeys. That's nothing. My mom's got 500 donkeys. And a huge staff of servants. The most influential man in all the East. So this guy had 10 kids. He was rich. He had Tons of servants. He had all these animals. Most of them were good, productive animals, except for the 500 donkeys. I don't know, but this guy had it all. He had it going on. He was a good guy. He was honest. He loved God. He hated evil with a passion. Like, everything was good with this dude. He was just a good guy. So, I won't read you the whole story. This is where I'm just going to kind of fill you in on what's going on. The devil shows up at a worship service in heaven. And it, it says the devil comes in with the angels, and the angels are reporting to God, and the devil walks up, and God looks at the devil and says, What are you doing? And the devil said, Man, I've been going to and fro and all over the earth, just looking around at what's going on. And God's like, Hmm, have you considered my servant Job? God brought him up. Devil didn't even say anything about Job. God's like, have you considered my servant Job? Now, after knowing what happens in the story, I hope God never says that about me. Have you considered my servant Dusty? No, please, God, no. <laughs> and, the, and the devil was like, yeah, I've seen him. 
And then look what God says. I'm just going to read you uh, verse 8. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest and true to his word. Totally devoted to God. Now God's talking about himself in third person. Totally devoted to God, he could have said to me. And hating evil. Wait a minute, that's the same... That's the same description that the writer of Job wrote in the first, what we just read in the first verse. God gives the same description. So there's no denying whether Job was a good guy or not. We get it twice right there, one from the writer of Job and one from God. So the devil said, yeah, of course he's a good guy because you bless him. Of course he's a good dude. He's healthy. He's got all these kids. He." I mean, he's got tons of animals. He's got servants that do anything he wants. Yeah, of course he serves you. Of course he's not an evil man. If you'd let me take some of that away, he'd curse you. He'd fall into some evil ways. And so God said, all right, fine, go ahead. Do anything you want to him. Take away anything you want from him. Take away all his stuff. Destroy it. Hurt him as bad as you can, but you're not allowed to hurt him. Don't touch his body. Devil said, deal, see ya, and took off. So you can read on down through here, but all of his animals died, and he keeps getting these messengers that come up and tell him, hey, like all your sheep are dead. And then while that messenger's still talking, another messenger comes up and says, all your camels are dead. All your servants got slaughtered. And just down through the list, everything he has right there in that day is getting taken from him until he loses all his animals, all his wealth. His crops get burned up. His servants all die. And then the very last one that a servant comes to him and said, hey, your oldest son threw a party at his house and he invited all of his brothers and sisters over and they're all partying in the house and a tornado came by and tore down the house and killed everybody in the house. All 10 of your kids are dead. All the servants are dead. All the spouses are dead. Grand, anybody that was inside that house is all dead and I'm the only one that got away to come tell you. That's a bad day. I hate it when one of my kids gets hurt. And I can't imagine losing a child. But what about all ten of them at the same time, unexpected? Look what Job did. Skip ahead to verse 20. Job got to his feet. Ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshipped. That was your response? To the worst thing I could possibly imagine his response was. Sign of mourning, shaved his head, ripped his robe, that's all. Sign of mourning, grieving. And then he worshipped. I don't feel like worship. And look what Job said in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all of this did Job sin. 
Not once did he blame God. So what happens? Devil goes back with the angels and goes back to heaven. Shows back up in there and God said, told you. Job didn't even sin. He didn't curse me. He didn't turn on me. In fact, he worshipped me. I told you. Proud of my boy. And the devil said, of course he did. You didn't let me touch his body. See, you know how men are when they're even sick. If you let me touch his body, he'll cry and curse you right away. He'll milk it for all it's worth. And God's like, oh, you think so? The devil said, oh, I know so. Yeah. Oh, I've been walking around on the world. I've been watching these people. Yeah. He'll curse you. God said, all right, fine. Attack his body. So the devil went back. You can go read this in chapter 2. I'm not going to read it to you because it's disgusting. He got these boils and sores, and the Bible says they were oozing and itching so bad that he busted open a pot and was, like, scraping himself with it until he was just bleeding and oozing with pus, and then he went and sat in a trash pile and started dumping ashes on himself. I said I wasn't going to read it, then I described it. Huh? And the Message Bible even uses those words, oozing and itching. It's disgusting. And Job's sitting there covered in these ashes and nasty. And look at what chapter 2, verse 9 says. I'm going to switch over to King James here. Point out something real quick. Chapter 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. All right, you still going to retain your integrity? Just curse God and die. That's what his wife's saying to him. He's lost everything. Now he's covered in sores. He's lost his health. He's, he's lost everything. Wow, thanks, babe. I did notice that God gave the devil permission to take everything good out of his life, and his wife's still there, so. <laughs> um, let's, let's read a couple more verses. <laughs> Look at verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. <laughs> what shall we... <laughs> What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips? Now finally something good happens. His friends show up. That's what we're about to read. You remember talking about relationships and all these? Okay, Job's buddies are about to show up. His best friends. Um... Or as I would like to call them today, his frenemies. That's when you mix a friend and an enemy. And you can't really tell if they're for you or against you. They pull the daggers out. They stab the daggers in. That kind of, these, these, are, these are his frenemies. Okay, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz the... 
Timonite and Bildad, the Shuhite. That's a cool name if anybody's thinking of a name. Bildad. And Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Okay, cool. It's good so far. It's great. Go to your friend that's having all these problems. Go to him. Great. Remember Romans 12, 5, it tells us to rejoice with those that rejoice and to mourn with those that mourn, to meet people where they are. Um, and so these guys were just going to mourn with him, to meet him where he was. You need this. And you need to be this for other people. You need to meet people where they are. You need to be able to rejoice with the people in your life that are rejoicing. If you can't rejoice with people that are rejoicing, then you may want to check your jealousy and comparison scale. Because if I can't be happy for you when something good happens to you, there's a problem in me. I need to be able to rejoice with you, but I also need to be able to mourn with you when you're upset or when you're mourning. And I need to have people in my life that can do both of those for me. They can rejoice with me when I'm happy, and they can mourn with me when I'm down. Just let them know sometimes it's all we need. Somebody say, hey, I feel your pain. You're not alone. I'm with you. And they lifted up their eyes afar off. And knew him not. They lifted up their voice and they wept and they rent everyone his mantle, his clothes, and they sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. These three dudes are walking along, they're going to mourn with their buddy. They look up. From a long ways off, the Bible tells us, they see him. And he looks so bad. Sitting there in that trash pile with ashes all over him and sores all over him and stuff. They don't even recognize him. And here's how bad he looks. You picture these three dudes. It says that they, all three of them, rip their clothes and scream loud with a loud voice and start to cry. He must have looked pretty bad. Then they start grabbing dirt off the ground, and it says throwing it up to the heaven and on themselves. So they're screaming, crying, ripping their clothes, and throwing dirt up in the air. That's not that much comfort to me. If I'm in the worst place in my life, and I'm sitting there, in the corner of my office, in a chair, like I'm about to die, and I've lost everything. And like Bo and Dylan and Nathan come walking in my office and start ripping their shirts off, screaming, crying, and throwing dirt in their own faces. That's not comforting to me. Hmm. It was a sign of mourning for them. Okay, so let's read the rest of this and we'll talk about it. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they wept, tore their shirts, threw dirt up towards heaven. Verse 13, 
So they sat down with him upon the ground for seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word. They sat there for seven days and seven nights, and nobody talked. We talk about an awkward moment. They created this most awkward moment ever, that there was a seven day and night silence. I'm being funny, but they, they just sat there. They did what I was just talking about. They met him where he was, and they just sat there to say, hey, we're with you. I can't imagine going through what you're going through. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and be with you and let you know. You got relationships. You got people, and we're going to sit here. They were there to mourn with him, to weep with him, weep with those that weep. Unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Chapter 3, after this, opened Job his mouth. So after they sat there for seven days, Job finally feels like it's a safe enough place. Hey, it's okay. I'm about to vent. I can't hold it in anymore. These are my three best friends. They came to where I am. They've been sitting here. They've been quiet. So now I'm going to vent. I'm about to just let it out. And you could start reading down through here and see Job uh, opened his mouth and he cursed his day. And Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born. He cursed the day he was born. I wish I was never born. I wish I wasn't even here. And the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. He, Job's just cursing the day he was born, and he can't believe it's turned out this way, and he's just venting. He's just letting out because he thought it was a safe place. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. I wish I could just take away the day I was born. I don't even understand what's the point. Why did I lose all this? Why is I in so much pain? I can't figure it out. I don't know what God's doing. I just, he had one of those moments. We've all had those moments, I'm sure. We don't understand. We're mad. We're upset. We need to just vent and let it out, and that's okay. Because I believe that God prefers honesty. God don't want you to be fake, especially with Him. And we like to try to spiritualize things and church things up, but God prefers you to be, just be honest. So Job lets it out. And like for the rest of chapter 3, Job's still letting it out. He's venting. He's telling his friends how he really feels. He curses God, curses me, curse the day I was born. He says in this chapter, a familiar verse is, uh, Job says, the thing I feared came upon me in his venting and in his letting out and in this chapter 3. <clears throat> and then his self-righteous friend speaks up in chapter 4. Look at this. After Job opens his mouth and speaks, Eliphaz, he speaks up. Chapter 4, verse, verse 6. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope? 
and the uprightness of thy ways. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the right <coughs> the righteous cut off, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness, they reap the same. Well, Job, you reap what you sow. You must have been sowing some iniquity and doing the wrong thing, and that's why all this happened to you. You got any of those friends around? Yep, well, there must be a reason. It's something you've done that got all this on you, and you reap what you sow, so you must have got all this. And but, So you must just be evil. That's what he's saying. Go down through there and read it. The reason you were going through this is because of some sin in your life. Maybe it's a secret sin that none of us knew about, but that's the problem here. You're just a bad person. Even if it was true, which we all know it wasn't true because we just read the first part of this chapter, and not only the writer of Job said he was a good guy, nothing wrong with him, blameless in any way, then God said it about him. So we know it wasn't true. But even if it was true, is that the time to say that to him? Is that the timing to go to somebody when they're at their lowest point and hurt and say, well, it's all your fault. You got this evil sin inside of you and you shouldn't have done that. You reap what you sow. Horrible timing. But that's what a self-righteous person will do. Let me ask you a question. Are you pointing out what's wrong in people's lives, in your friends' lives? Do you spend more time pointing out what's wrong or finding ways to help? Because that's a big difference. If I look at you and you're hurting, if I look at you and you're messed up, or you're either... I can choose to just point out what's wrong. Well, you need to fix that. You need to change that. Or am I trying to find ways that I can help you find healing, that I can help you get up, that I can mourn with you or rejoice with you? What do I spend more time doing? Pointing out what's wrong or finding ways to help? Remember we talked about the referees that nobody buys ref jerseys. There are no referees in the Hall of Fame. None of them made it. They just point out what's wrong all the time. Don't be a ref. Play the game. A self-righteous person or self-righteousness points a finger rather than lending a hand. The second thing is self-righteousness always likes compassion always compassion that's sympathy like i feel bad for you i feel bad for your situation and what you got going on plus action and i'm going to do something to help you that's compassion that's what jesus had on everybody on the multitudes jesus had compassion and he healed them jesus had compassion and he fed them we're supposed to have compassion So self-righteousness always lacks compassion. So I would say if you're not very compassionate, 
check your self-righteousness. Has there ever been a time that you wanted to ball up your fist nice and tight and punch somebody in the face? Only Jesse. Okay. <laughs> so we got one honest person. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've felt that feeling. Yes, I have wanted to. Self-righteous people like to do that spiritually. That's what a self-righteousness does in the spirit, is it's balling up its fist and punching somebody in the face. What, what good is that doing? None. They're already in a bad place. They're already hurting. And what I hate and what I've seen is Self-righteousness will say things like this. Now, right before they punch you in the face spiritually, they'll say, now I'm going to speak the truth in love. Bull, that's not the truth, and I can't see love. We speak the truth in love, brother. It's not the truth, and there is no love. That's an excuse to just say what you want to say. Don't say, I'm going to speak the truth in love as an excuse to just say what you want to say and judge somebody and spiritually punch them in the face and walk off and not lend them a helping hand. If you're not going to be helped to them and you're not in relationship with them enough to be the one that's going to pull them out of the ditch, then you don't have the right to punch them in the face. Take that how you will. <laughs> Look at chapter 8, verse 4. Told you we're skipping around a lot. Now, this dude goes on and on. That guy talking to him about how he's a bad guy and he did the wrong thing. and Job will answer. But now, look what Bildad said in chapter 8. Then answered Bildad... The Shuhite, this was a little short guy. It was Shuhite. And said, how long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? What are you talking about, Job? Don't you think, uh, you think God, if thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgressions. He just now told this dude that your kids must have all been sinners, and so God killed them. If I'm Job... I'm killing that joker. Bad timing, dude. I lost a kid, and you're telling me it's because my kid was a sinner? That's where we're talking about balling up your fist and punching him in the face. That's where I can't believe you would say that to somebody that's in his situation. Sometimes the best thing you can do 
Just keep your mouth shut. So we feel like we need to comfort somebody that's going through something. I need to think of something spiritual or something good to say to them. And you're not accurate. You're doing more damage than good. Sometimes just be quiet. You don't have to say it 20 things. Then in verse 5 and 6, he says, If you would seek God and live pure, he would fix it. If I would seek God and live pure, I already was. I was doing what I knew to do when I lost everything. And he'll fix it? He'll fix what? They're dead. He ain't raising them from the dead. And the only thing that's not going to get replaced is my wife. And she obviously wasn't that good to start with. She's the one thing the devil let me keep. He's going to fix it? If I start living good and being pure? It's a good buddy right here. Self-righteousness will cause you to misjudge people. They misjudged him bad. Job was a good dude. He was living pure. He was, he was not doing what they were accusing him of doing. But it will cause you to misjudge people. It's the third one, self-righteousness. Delights in false humility. Just learn how to say thank you. I had to learn it. People come up and say, hey, good message. And some people get weird of, oh, you shouldn't do that. You're taking the glory from God if you, you say it's all, it's all God. No, it's not me. It wasn't me. It was God. That, that kind of false humility, you know what I've learned? And I've, even, I've heard Pastor Bruce talk about it. To me and some others, but God's as big as He's going to be. You're not going to take His glory. When somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, great word, yeah, it came from God, but you were the vessel. And so you can just say, Thank you. It's real simple. You don't have to put on this false humility. Compliments aren't bad. In fact, they're great. It's okay to receive a compliment. And it's okay to give compliments. If you're healthy, you know that. Well, I don't want him to get a big head, so I ain't going to tell him he did anything good. I don't think I've, I've heard that a lot. Nah, don't keep on bragging on him and telling him how good that was. He's going to get a big head. The thing is, if I think about the times in my life when I've felt the most humble, like the times in my life where I was as humble as I can remember, it was when I was being honored. Like, it, it does the opposite. It doesn't give me a big head. A few weeks ago when... When you guys all blessed us for pastor's appreciation and Nathan came and stood down front and 
got the mic and talked and like honored me and Jesse for being pastors and and all the money that you guys raised and all the stuff that like honoring us. I didn't stand there with my head puffing up feeling prideful. In fact, I felt very humbled. Like, wow, I do I d- deserve this? Like, I'm just humbled and honored to be. That's what it. That's what it should produce, not this arrogance or pride. In chapter twenty-five, now we're skipping way ahead. They just go back and forth in here, and it's Job answers and his buddies answer, and they're judging him and telling him all this false stuff. But in chapter twenty-five. Bildad talks about how big God is. And he ends this little part with about how God's bigger than the stars and God's huge and God's awesome. And then he talks about how we're worms as humans. We're nothing more than maggots. Some translations say that we're not worthy. We're maggots. We're worms. We're fit. I've seen Christians do that. That, that whole false humility thing. I've seen people trying to lead worship services, and the whole time they pour so much, oh, we're not worthy of a holy God. I'm a maggot. I'm a worm. I'm worthless. I'm fr-. And that's not God. God's our Father. So that doesn't exalt God for me to put myself down. In fact, it probably aggravates him. If one of my kids, if, if Sky comes up to me and says, Oh, great father, you're so big and powerful and I am but a maggot. I'm going to say, No, you're not, dude. Oh, I'm a piece of trash and you are the greatest. That's not what God wants from his kids. Oh, it would be nice sometimes. Just kidding. <laughs> no. That's not, as a father, that would be like, it would make me think, oh, there's something wrong here. Why does my son feel like that about himself? Why does he feel like he has to put himself down or tear himself down when he comes into my presence? He's not whole. He's not okay. He doesn't know who he is. He has no clue how much I love him. He has no clue how much value I place on him and who he is and what he is. Oh, Bildad, we're worms, we're maggots, we're not worthy. Now we're going to wrap this story up. Look at verse 42, chapter 42, verse 7. Chapter 42, verse 7. So you see, that went on for all these 42 chapters. All this is going on back and forth, and Job talks, and they talk, and Job talks. But it's, it's the same stuff. You can go read it. Verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to the other dude, the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against thee. So God says to one of his buddies, one of them three, I'm mad, and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. 
as my servant, as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. And in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. God was mad at these guys. God said, look, you've been, you're misrepresenting me. You need to stop just running your mouth. And I know you're trying to be helpful and you're trying to help this dude that's in a bad situation, but you don't know what's going on, so stop. Stop. And they went and they did it. They made the sacrifice and they made things right. They heard, hey, we're being self-righteous. We're judging when it's not our place. We're, we're spiritually punching this dude in the face and we're supposed to be his friends. And they did go and make the sacrifice. They did what God said and they made it right. So today, first of all, look in yourself and look for any self-righteousness. Because we probably all have some. In one area or another, in some way or another, we might have some self-righteousness in us. Whether it's in the false humility area or if it's in the judging area or if it's in the area where we feel like we need to kick somebody while they're down or whatever it is, you probably just heard one of those things that could apply to you or one of your relationships. So look at yourself first. It's easy to run from relationships especially when you get hurt. But then you don't find healing because together we heal. In community, connected, that's where we find our healing. Every time you fail a test, you get to take it again. Isn't that cool? So let's pass the test and move on. I would argue that your closest relationships or who you do life with, that's the second most, decision, most important decision that you'll ever make. What kind of friends do you have? Are they lazy? Do they talk about what they want to do or what they're going to do for God or trips that they're going to take or what kind of shape they're going to get in physically, or do they sit around talking about what they're going to do and never do anything? Are they driven? Are the people you surround yourself with generous? Do they give to something bigger than themselves? Are they, are they reaching out? Are they, are they looking to grow would be a good way to say it. Or are they just kind of stuck and not willing to move on? Some of you probably have that friend that's just negative about everything. Every day, everything is something negative. Oh, God, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Did you watch the news? Did you see everything that was going on? They constantly complain. Did you see what happened? Did you see what Donald Trump did? Did you see what they tried to say about him? Did you? Oh, man, everything's horrible. Everything's bad. 
I can't believe what she did. I walked around Walmart for 34 minutes with arthritis in my knee because they moved the clearance aisle and I couldn't find the clearance aisle. And I don't know, Walmart's got a conspiracy against me. And that, like, you find a way to get mad and negative about everything. I'm broke. I'm sick. Can you believe that Dusty preached about that today? Yeah. I thought we were supposed to welcome everybody. Now he's preaching about be careful who you let in your close circle. I can't believe that. You know what that is? That's somebody that heard the truth and is not willing to change. So they'd rather disagree with it than hear it and change. You got that, friend? Just point at them. If you know who that is and they're in the room, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) And we will start the marriage seminar next week for those marriages that just got destroyed. (laughs) What kind of friends do you have? Look at this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Just that verse right there should tell you a lot about who you hang out with and who you walk with. That says by walking with the wise, you'll become wise. And by hanging out with fools, your life will fall to pieces. Pretty simple. And we know that. But what do we do about it? So I think the food is smelling good. So I'm going to close with a couple of thoughts, and I'm going to save the rest of this for next week because i got too much to try to cram in there. So I'm going to close with these few thoughts, and and we're going to pray and eat. I'm going to ask you three questions. When you're thinking about your friends... Do they lift you up or pull you down? The people that you're in close relationship with, do they lift you up or are they constantly pulling you down? Now, obviously, there's going to be times when they'll need to be lifted up. or they'll. But on an ongoing basis, if your closest relationships are always pulling you down and take, 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 and never pouring into you, you're never being refilled, that's a problem. So that's the first question. Do they lift you up or pull you down? Second one, are they good to you or good for you? There's a difference. There's some people that you can have a fun time with, and they're good to you. And you like hanging out with them, but you know that they're not good for you. Because they take you places you shouldn't go. They make you do things and say things that you know you have no business doing. They're, they're good to you. They pick up the tab, but they're not good for you. So Think about that, your closest relationships. Are they good to you or are they good for you? drug dealer and be good to you but he's not good for you third one 
do they celebrate you or manipulate you? You're going to have some friends that are like pushing you, celebrating you. Every victory that you have, they're like, that's awesome, that's great, keep going, keep pushing. Yeah, they're like cheering for you, celebrating you, pushing you, even in things that you're kind of hesitant, you don't know, like the good thing, like, okay, there's a meeting that I'm supposed to have with somebody, and it's an important meeting, and it determines the whole course of my life forever in the future and stuff, and it's like really very important. And so I, I tend to drag my feet. Jesse, did you set that meeting up? Did you call him? Did you plan it? What's she doing? She's pushing, pushing. It gets kind of annoying. Yeah, I left him a message. Answer you back. You better wait a day so you're not annoying, but then answer again. What's she doing? Pulling me up. Pulling me up because it's something I need to do. She's pulling me up. Hey, take a step. You said you were going to take a step. You said God wanted you to do that. Have you done it yet? Why not? What are you doing? Let's go. Let's go. She's pushing me, but guess what? Then she celebrates. I want to trip over that thing every week. But then she celebrates when I do it. I'm having the meeting tomorrow, by the way, at 11.45. So, (laughs) do they celebrate you when you do good, when you succeed, when you get a promotion, when you get a raise, when your kid does great, when you're whatever, In life, when things go good for you, do your friends celebrate you and push you and are happy or are they manipulating you? Well, it must be nice. You got that raise, and I'm I'm so glad you got to move on over there to Buckhead, and I still live over here in Bankhead. You got $20 I can hold? I mean, (laughs) must be nice. Or do they celebrate you for what's going on in your life or are they just constantly trying to manipulate you to get something out of the relationship for themselves do they celebrate you or manipulate you you know a great white shark if you catch it as a little baby and you put it in a fish tank it'll only grow to eight inches big it won't get over eight inches in a fish tank A great white shark out of the Atlantic Ocean. Put him in a fish tank, and he won't get over eight inches. Take that thing and throw him in the ocean, he'll get over eight feet. He'll get huge. But not in a little baby, tiny environment. A little small environment. So I'm going to close today. By telling you this week, we're going to talk about this again next week. So do an inventory this week of your friends and your relationships. And I'm going to close by telling you that God created some of you to be megalodon in the spirit. A giant shark. But because of the environment, the circumstance that you're in and the people that you've placed around yourself 
you're swimming around like baby shark, da, 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 baby. You're supposed to be huge, powerful. Let's pray. Daddy shark. God, thank you. Thank you that we can come together and we can be real and we can laugh. We can cry. We can, we can even have disagreements and work it out. Thank you that we're a big family and that you're teaching us and you're growing us. God, help us to do a real honest inventory of who we've surrounded ourselves with. And we know that we're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to help everybody reach out and, and help the broken. But the close relationships that we choose to pour into and let pour into us, those are limited. So God, help us to do an honest inventory and to surround ourselves with people, to put ourselves in an environment to be all that we can be. God, thank you for placing people in our lives. Now help us to move forward. Help us to grow. We want to be big. Help us to assess our self-righteousness and get rid of that because I don't see it in Jesus at all. We want to look like you. We want to look like love and grace and mercy and have compassion on people that are at the bottom to go down and meet them and give them a hand, not a lecture. God, we love you. Thank you for hope. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name. God, bless the food. Bless all the hands that prepared it and brought food to eat. Thanks for Thanksgiving, just a time of year that we can remember all the things that we have to be thankful for. Thank you for our country and for our church and just the freedoms that we have. Thank you for all our blessings. We love you. Bless the food in Jesus' name. Amen.